and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome everyone to Challenges That Change Us. For those of you that haven't seen, we have a mini series being released every Thursday. It's a 20-minute bite-sized episode on high performance. And, you know, we just had a bit of fun with this. Uh, Me and a couple of colleagues, Wayne Rubin and Pearl Lim, got together and each of us have interviewed two people, whether it be in the business world, the sports world, the military, around what high performance looks like for them and some of their lessons and learns along the way. So if you haven't checked that out, there are bonus episodes and we'd love your feedback. Please let me know what you think, whether that's the sort of thing you'd like me to continue with. But today, Today, I want to introduce you to Rafaela Lees. She comes on and shares her story of growing up in the foster system. It is the first time that she has come on to share something like this, and she helps us understand what happened for her, what her experiences were, what was going through her head at the time, but also some of the stigma that's out there around foster care and around children that are in foster care. The thing that alarmed me was the statistics. I found some statistics from the ABC that said 46,000 kids at any given time in Australia are in foster care or need to be in foster care, but we only have 9,000 homes. Like, what? Right? Like, those statistics don't add up. And having had a little foster sister myself, I just think, oh, Maybe we all could be doing a little more in this space. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answers, but that really alarmed me. And I just hearing Raf's story today, just my heart goes out to everyone that's in that position and how we can best help and serve them and help them live the life that they want to live and feel loved and connected. So I think you're all going to enjoy this episode. Let me introduce you to Raf. Welcome, Raf, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Ali. Raph, I love to start every episode with asking our guests what animal best describes them and what is it in particular about that animal. And that just helps our audience, our listeners and me get to know you a little bit. It always brings out some pretty interesting stuff, this question. I think a lot of people describe me as a golden retriever, but I think I'd probably describe myself as a bit more of a red fox. I don't know. I think uh, independently uh, speaking, I just like to be alone just hunting by myself I suppose would be yeah ideal (laughs) when you say red fox you mean like your everyday ordinary fox that you see in the paddocks when you said that I was thinking of the red bears is it the red bears that you get at the zoo are they yeah the little red pandas I know the ones Yes, yes. Have you seen those? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty cute. (laughs) Yeah, I saw my first one the other day. That's what I was thinking of. But you're talking about the foxes we see in the paddock that are kind of on their own with their big bushy tails. Yeah, those ones. And more because of the independence. Yeah, I think so. I think a bit of a lone wolf, yeah. Don't like too much human interaction. (laughs) So today's going to be super easy for you then. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) How are you feeling about coming on today? A little bit nervous, but I'm excited. Glad to be able to talk about it, you know, tell my story a little bit. 
And this is the first time, isn't it, that you're actually going to go through and speak publicly about your story? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I've told a lot of people in my life about it, but it's the first time actually speaking about it. So pretty excited. And it feels so different. Like, I, I don't know for you, but for me, I remember the first time I publicly spoke up, I was just like, oh my God, like it's talking to your mate over a coffee or a beer or, a, you know, a walk is like, I don't know, it, it feels very different once you come on a stage like this and you're kind of like, oh, am I going to say the right thing? What do I actually want to say? What message do I want to leave? Has all of that gone yeah. through your head? 100%. Yeah. It's pretty daunting, but I'm <laughs> hoping I'll ace it. <laughs> We've got this nailed. Yeah. <laughs> the best place to start might just actually be going right back to the beginning. Like, you know, when did you first start in the foster care system? What did that look like? What was the beginning of your journey like? So myself, my sister and my older brother were all put into foster care when I was two years old. My sister would have been about ooh, 18 months old and my brother would have been about five years old, I believe. And we lived in Gunnedah at the time and we were taken to a little farm property. But I really don't remember much of my childhood until I was about four to five. I actually don't know why I was put into foster care. I think that's one of my biggest problems with the foster system is we actually can't find out why I was put into foster care at the moment. There's some problems with paperwork and things like that. So in the process of figuring that out so that I can actually read that paperwork and figure that out for myself, find some answers, you know? Yeah, as of right now, I really don't know. I know my parents have quite a few mental health issues and they weren't necessarily fit to be parents, but I don't know what the actual cause was yet. Does that leave a big hole for you? Does that just kind of leave this space of of unknown? Yeah, definitely. I think that was one of the biggest, you know, problems growing up was trying to figure out why on earth I'm in this situation, you know. This was my whole life and I don't quite know why. But, you know, I've accepted it now. I've really grown to just live with it, but I'd really like some answers, definitely. And you obviously know who your mum and dad are. Yeah, yeah. So when we were younger, we had a lot of connection with them. You know, we met with them once or twice a week. We'd have contacts with them. And then as we grew older, we sort of drifted apart from them a little bit. I still have regular phone contact with them, but we now live in different towns. So I don't have interaction with them as much. And is it not a question you feel like you can ask them around what happened in those early days? Definitely not. I don't think my father would be in the right headspace to be able to answer that, I think it would probably destroy the little peaceful relationship that we have going on right now. But yeah, you know, I I hope that being able to get that paperwork will mean that I'm able to find some answers that way without, you know, causing disruption there. So yeah. So what was it like for you going through the foster system? I think honestly, I had it pretty good in comparison to a lot of other You know, a lot of my friends who were going through the foster system as well, they had it really tough. You know, I watched a lot of people go into youth homes and live in hotels as kids and, you know, have absolutely no one. Luckily, at age six, I was put into a home with the family who I now call that care of my dad and that's my family now. And, you know, that was a really permanent thing, which a lot of other children don't get. So, yeah, I was really grateful for that. What was the difference between you having something permanent, though? Because my understanding of foster care is that it's not a permanent solution. It's for a period of time. Yeah, definitely. So it was actually a a bit of an odd situation, you know. 
a lot of children in homes for long periods of time. My foster parents at the time actually were in it for the long run. They were looking for children who weren't able to go back with their parents and that was the situation for myself and my sister. We couldn't go back to our parents. We were told we were going to be in the foster system our entire childhood. So it was nice to know that we had that family that were actually also looking for, you know, a permanent situation. That's so interesting, Raph. It, I thought I understood the foster system from the work that I used to do, but listening to you, I'm like, wow, I've got so many questions. Again, I, I thought foster care was not about the permanency, but you're saying that you got told really early on that it was going to be long-term and as you said, when you started the conversation, to not know the why behind that, like that's a big decision to be able to call that really early that you're not going to be returning home. It's a situation, you know, it changes uh, between situations. I think we had one of those uh, situations where it was just not a good idea to go back to our parents and they realised that from a very young age and you know adoption and that type of thing was mentioned but it was just never really viable so we ended up staying with the same foster parents who have yeah just become our family I guess. That's so beautiful to hear though you know and I know your foster dad and he's such a legend so he was the one that put us in touch Leith. Yeah 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 no he's a really good egg we love him. He's looked after us a lot. And you mentioned that it was you and your sister. Do you want to talk us through those early years? Uh, yeah. So at age, ooh, I would have been age four. My sister would have been about three, two and a half, three. Our brother actually got diagnosed with a brain tumour at age eight and he passed away at age nine. That was definitely a really tough period for us. I remember that he was, you know, the person protecting us and looking after us little girls throughout all of this, you know, ups and downs with family and not quite having a stable home. So I think after he passed away, I definitely took on that role. Yeah, after he passed away, we changed foster home pretty quick and that's where we ended up with uh, Leaf in his house. It sounds like it was quite sudden with your brother. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, I can't say I remember all of the details of it. I was very young, but... Uh, yeah, he got diagnosed pretty quickly and was unfortunately too sick and, yeah, he passed away pretty soon afterwards. Raph, I'm just thinking like losing your parents and going to the foster system, losing your brother and then moving foster homes, like it's a huge amount of grief and uncertainty at such a young age. Yeah, definitely. I think that's part of the reason that I don't actually remember a lot of my childhood. I think there's a lot of, you know, trauma block there. Yeah, it was definitely a lot to go through for a couple of young girls. We didn't quite know what where we stood or what was happening, but you know, we had a lot of people around us who were looking out for us at the same time. So And Raf, when we had a conversation about coming on to challenges that change us, we, we had a bit of a chat about what what are the things that we could talk about, what did you feel comfortable sharing? And and one of the areas was really around for the external world to start to understand what happens in the internal world of foster care. Do you want to talk to us a little bit around that? One of the main issues in the foster care system for me is definitely the stigma around it. I think growing up, you know, so many times when I was a child, when, you know, school students or other people around me found out I was in foster care, there was always that, you know, a little bit of judgment or questioning on having no knowledge at all. And I don't think that's necessarily anyone's fault, but I think 
there needs to be more education on it. I think there needs to be more support systems for these kids to not be embarrassed about their home life, not be able to, you know, they should be able to talk about their family the same way that other kids can, you know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stereotypes that are related to it. I think a lot of people find out that I was in foster care and then suddenly go, oh, you know, why why were you in foster care? What was your childhood like? And a lot of people, for some reason, blame children. I don't know why, but that seems to be a reoccurring thing that, you know, why were you taken away? What did you do? What did your siblings do? You know, and I think that's something that really needs to be changed. And I think it also has a lot of effect on the lack of foster carers that we currently have. You know, we have so many of these kids in the system and no one to take care of them. And I think that's because so many people are scared of these little kids who really haven't done anything wrong because it is taking on a lot of work. But I think there definitely needs to be a lot more education around why children are put into foster care. There's so much you just said then. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to jump down and, and break some of it up because I just, there were so many important things, Raf, that you just mentioned. So the first one that you spoke around was the stigma and interesting, you were like, you know, they want to know why you went into foster care. And that was the first question I asked you, right? Like, I think that was the very first question I asked you. So for you, what happens when, when you mention to someone that you're in foster care and their first questions are like, oh, what was that like? And why were you put into foster care? What happens for you in that moment? Definitely when I was younger, I panicked. You know, you don't know how to answer that when you're younger and it's it feels very much like, oh, this is your fault. Why are you, you know, it's it feels more of an attack rather than just an, a question, you know. And I think that definitely needs to be changed so that we can actually answer those questions and just be happy about, you know, talking about that stuff. I think luckily for me, I really don't remember why I was put into foster care, so I can't really talk about that too much. But just the the way that the question's worded, I guess, is why I was put into foster care, not why what I did to get into foster care, you know? It feels like I'm, what I'm hearing for you is it, it felt like a lot of people judge the child in that situation. So uh, people are like, I almost, and and you definitely didn't say this, but I almost heard the words, you're like a naughty kid or you've done something wrong or you're, is that what you're saying? Is that kind of the sense that you felt from the external world? It's really, it's a sad way of looking at it, but I think that's how a lot of people see us. And I, you know, I've grown up to, you know, work with that and live with that. But I think that stereotype and that stigma really needs to be worked on. You know, it's definitely not the child's fault ever to be put in that situation, you know. I'm so sorry that that was your experience, Raf, because that you are 100% on point when you say it's not the child's fault. Like children are removed for a whole number of reasons, but usually it's because the environment they're in isn't safe. Something about that environment that that child is not going to be safe in that environment. It is not because of the child and their behaviours and their actions. But isn't that interesting that that is something that you've experienced as you've been growing up is that the the blame goes on the child. And, you know, I can imagine when you say you didn't know why, why you were in this situation and then you're feeling that judgment from the external world. Like how do you put those two together, right? Like what is the answer to that? If you're feeling like people are saying it's something you did and you're like, but I don't know why I'm here. Of course, as a little child, you're going to internalise that and think, well, what did I do? I think 
definitely not having the answers as to why I was put into foster care is also, yeah, a big a part of that is that self-blame and that, you know, questioning what did I do, what did my siblings do. I think growing up, you know, you realise that that's really not how it was. But I think, yeah, having those people around you who look at you and look down on you and say, oh, you know, where are your parents? Why why aren't you with your family and that type of thing? It's just, yeah, I don't know. I guess there definitely needs to be a lot of work done around that education and just being more open about it, I think. And I think there's a stigma around – See, I've never, I had not actually heard around the child thinking that they've done something wrong. So it's really fascinating to hear you say that. And, and, you know, it takes me back to think about all the kids that I worked with over the years. And for a child to carry that weight on their shoulders and not to be, have the voice to ask the questions, to get the answers that they need, to have an understanding, to integrate it into their world, you know, it just, it, it leaves this, this huge gap and this, emptiness around, well, who am I in this world? The part that I often hear and the stigma that I often see is around even once kids are in foster care that there are behavioural issues, you know, which is not true. And if there are behavioural issues, it can often be a result of the experience they've had and the trauma they've experienced and the I don't know how to walk in this world and this is the only way I know how. But I definitely think there's a stigma there that when someone says that they're a foster child, it's like, oh, what is that? What's that going to mean? Yeah, 100%. I think people, you know, instantly think, oh, that means that child's got all sorts of issues, you know. And I think that's a lot of the reason that we can't get enough foster carers, you know, we can't get enough people to look after these kids because everyone instantly thinks, oh, that's a problem. And I guess, you know, these children have had a lot go on for them that they definitely shouldn't have had go on for them at such a young age. And I think that definitely gives them you know a lot of anxiety a lot of identity issues and that causes problems but I think there needs to be more training for our foster carers if there's more you know education around that how to handle that you know what to do in those situations because you know it's not that kid's fault they're just trying to figure out why on earth they're in this situation and how to survive you know it's all just them trying to and where the love's going to come from, right? Who is there for me? Who are my people? Who's my tribe? Who can I trust? Who is going to love me unconditionally? Where are my parents? You know, for some kids, it's where are my parents and where are my siblings at all different ages? How is a two-year-old, a four-year-old meant to have that language and that understanding? An eight-year-old or someone that's been through multiple homes, what are they meant to be saying to themselves in that space? I think here that constant fear of who's going to leave, who's actually there, you know, where do I stand, where's my home, you know. And luckily for me, I did have that stable environment after a while, but I think that a lot of children don't get that for their entire, you know, childhood. They are in limbo and it's really sad. I know you said that you had a stable home, but did you know that you were going to be in that home forever? Like, did you have those questions over your head? Like, am I going to be here? Is this my home? Will one day I wake up and I be removed or will I be asked to leave? Yeah, definitely. So I think luckily for me, I had a household where I was always told that, you know, this was your home. You were, you're stuck with us until you're 18. I'm sorry. And so I luckily had that bit of stabilization. You know, there was a period where my foster carers decided to split and that definitely caused a lot of 
instability and not knowing, you know, what was going to happen to me because in reality they aren't my real parents and when they split I my sister and I had no idea where we were going. But you know that same family value was stuck down and we ended up being able to stay with our foster dad so that was really nice. But yeah, I think that instability and that constant feeling of where do I stand is always there as a foster kid because you never quite know when things could uplift and, you know, everything could change, you know. And does that still sit with you today? You know, you've moved out of home and you're creating your own independent life now. Do you still feel that with you? Yeah, definitely. I get that anxiety of not quite knowing where I'm supposed to be, you know. Sometimes I feel like I've lived a double life. Often wonder what life would be like if I hadn't stayed with my birth parents and where I'd be at. I think I'd definitely have a completely different life. But, you know, I think I've learned learned to live with it. I've been in this situation for a very long time. So it's kind of my life. I've learned to work with those feelings, I guess. And when you think back through those years, what would you say was the hardest, most challenging time for you? You know, just after my brother had passed and we had changed home and I was looking after my sister and there was all that instability. You know, I was such an anxious kid. I really I'd taken on all of these adult burdens that I shouldn't have taken on at all but I think that was definitely the hardest part of my childhood was figuring out that time period where I'd just lost my parents I had lost my my guardian you know the person that was looking after me had passed away and I'd taken on the role of you know looking after my sister throughout all of this you know I think that was definitely the hardest period and then I think again when I was about 14 or 15, when my foster parents decided to split, that was a really hard period as well of bringing up all of those emotions again and that instability and, yeah, feeling like I was that little little kid again and not quite knowing where I stood and where my family was, you know. And how did you navigate those times? You know, you might not be able to remember, but, you know, do you know what helped get you through what didn't help, you know? Hard to say I really had those coping skills when I was younger when we just lost my brother. But I think as I was older, my sister was definitely the biggest support that I had. You know, we ended up with as tight as possible now. You know, we had our arguments, of course. But, yeah, definitely being each other's rock and, you know, we've been through it all together. We've been next to each other the whole time. and. You know, even when everyone else in our life had, you know, left and we had no one and didn't know what we were doing, we were, you know, each other's rocks. So I think definitely looking back, it was her. She was always there for me and we looked after each other. And now when you stand back and look look back through your life, what impact do you think it's had on you today? Looking at the bad side of things, I have definitely, you know, the attachment issues are there and, you know, I'm diagnosed with couple of anxiety disorders and, you know, it definitely affects my mental health. It's something that I'll never quite recover from. You know, it, it was my life, but it was also not the way that it should have been. And I think that's caused a lot of problems for me mentally. But I think at the same time, I like to look back on it and think that I was given a second chance at life. If I had have stayed with my birth parents, I wouldn't be half the person I am today. I wouldn't have had half the experiences, had half the personality. You know, I 
think it truly was a blessing in disguise. It was just getting through those years and figuring that out for myself, you know. It sounds like there's two parts that sit there for you. There's this part that there's this child that's still there, right, that's still wondering who's going to leave, you know, is my world safe? What's going to happen tomorrow? What happens if someone walks out? How am I going to be? Who am I going to be? What's going, what's my life going to look like? So there's this really strong kind of part in you that's the child part that has just had this experience. It's what you know and it's what you're fearful of in the future completely understandably. You know, you have lost so much and had so much uncertainty and insecurity within your life throughout your whole life. Yes, you had a stable home. Now you, when you look back, you're like, I stayed in the same home. But as you said, you didn't know that. You were told that. But fundamentally to your core, you didn't know that because your history told you that people didn't stay. And then there's this other part that I'm hearing that is this kind of wise owl that's like, you know, when I think about it, my life could look so different and I'm not sure it would look how it looks now. So there's this kind of what I'm hearing in your voice is this kind of gratitude and this like I'm where I am today because of my experiences and I'm actually who I am today because of my experiences, but it's almost like you're still learning how to merge those two worlds together and move forwards. It definitely affects a lot of the relationships I have now, you know, that instability and not knowing when people will stay and when they will leave. I think that definitely affected me a lot. Yeah, growing up, I've realized that it really was a blessing and it really was something that I'm grateful for. You know, the person who made the anonymous phone call that put us into foster care, I think they really were a blessing and they possibly saved my life at times. So I think, yeah, as hard as it is to think back on, it's definitely something that has shaped me and has given me so many opportunities and given me a whole nother life that I never would have had if I had stayed with Faith family. And when you think about that girl that has made it through all this stuff, when you think about that strong, resilient, determined, unbelievable girl that's been able to like get through each one of these chapters, you know, big, big life chapters that many people will never experience, what strengths and what things has she taken into this new world that you're going into now as a, as a young adult? What lives inside you? What's in your core? What are your strengths that you know that you have gained from all of this adversity? My independence, that if anyone ever talks about me, that's the first thing they say is that I'm independent and stubborn as like, I, you know, help isn't something that I'm very good at taking on and it can be a blessing and a burden at the same time. But I think you know, growing up looking after myself and thinking that I had to look after myself because I didn't really know who was going to always be there and looking after my sister definitely taught me, yeah, how, how to do that. And I think that might come back to that, you know, red fox thing of being a little lone wolf and, you know, wanting to look after myself and, yeah, the independence and the strength to just sort of say, okay, let's move on, let's keep going on with life, you know, the these things happen. It's, yeah, being able to face those challenges and just say, okay, we'll get through it, you know. And you mentioned earlier that there's been some diagnosis around the anxiety and that you just mentioned there coupled with I find it challenging to ask for help. How do you ask for help now? How do you, when you're in that place of feeling that anxiety, be kind to yourself, you know? How has that wise part of you been able to step up to the plate and say, I've got you here and it's okay? 
Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm still learning and I think we can all still learn. I am always told that I need to ask for help more, but I think having people around me who see that I am independent but can also see when I really am struggling is, you know, it's an absolute blessing. My sister is one of those people who can always see the second I'm getting, you know, anxious or getting low and you know, I start sort of blocking everyone out and looking after myself, she's able to step in and say, okay, well, what's going on? You know, Leif, my foster father, is very good at that as well, bringing me back down to earth and just sort of saying, you know, let's help you, let's do something for you instead of you just, you know, fighting it alone. And I'm learning to accept that. I think that's something that over the past couple of years I've definitely stepped back and said, okay, well, I think it's okay to ask for some help sometimes and not do everything alone. It's definitely a learning curve. It's almost like I, I heard the words I asked for help, but it's almost like they need to identify for you and give you a little tap on the shoulder and say, hey, Raph, you're doing your independent thing. You're a, you're a force of nature and you're driving forwards, but I'm here beside you. And then it's almost like you're just starting to open that door and say, okay, if you've noticed, I'll let you in. That's what I, Is that fair? I think, yeah, as bad as it is, it's something that I'm definitely still working on myself, but I think that having them, you know, poking and prodding and sort of saying, you know, it's time to ask for some help. It's time for to let someone step in. It's time to open up a bit. That's teaching me slowly that, you know, I can use other people and, you know, take on the help when I need it. What's the fear there? Have you had a look at what the fear is that if you say yes to the help? In my head, no one else is going to be there. You know, it's I'm the one person that's been there my whole life and my sister is the one person that's been there my whole life. And I think, yeah, that instability has definitely stemmed from my childhood of not knowing who will be there, who I can trust, who I can let in. Yeah, having so many people in and out of your life causes a lot of those anxieties, yeah. And have you got a toolbox now for your anxieties? Like have you got strategies that you can use in that space when you identify that that feeling is coming up and it feels like it's, you know, our superpower is often the thing that pulls us under. So it's there to alert us that there's danger or that something's unsafe or, you know, but at times it really doesn't work for us, you know. Have you got things that you can use around the anxiety? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood in and out of therapy and that sort of thing. So I've been taught all sorts of techniques and, you know, I've got things in place now that I do to help me. Like I think one of my best anxiety relievers is my two dogs. They're my whole world. So I think bringing them in and, you know, giving them a hug, taking them for a walk, that tends to be the first step to calming myself down and realising that, you know, they are going to be there at least. So they're my little bit of stability I guess I've learned a lot of techniques over the years. What sort of dogs do you have? I've got a four-year-old German Shepherd cross Kelpie and I've got a two-year-old chocolate border collie. Dogs don't leave us, right? (laughs) Very few dogs leave a human once they're connected to them and it's interesting that that's one of the things that you can turn to and isn't that beautiful that you found this space of like when I need to know that something is there for me and that this world is safe and secure, I have these two dogs that are going to love me unconditionally, wholeheartedly, as much as they possibly can until the day that they die. Yeah, no, I think that dogs are definitely the best thing that humans have ever been able to have. They give me that stability and I think yeah having them around and having that non-stop 
you know, they're not going anywhere is a really helpful feeling for me. And any other strategies that you use in that anxiety space? I'm thinking there'll be a lot of listeners out there, Raph, that may not have had the same upbringing as you, but they certainly would experience that feeling of uncertainty, insecurity, not knowing if something's going to happen and that anxiety kind of building within them. Is there any other strategies that you've learned over the years that you find help you personally? I think sitting down and rationalizing is one of my biggest things, being able to think, you know, Am I really what's actually happening? What's the reality? What's the likelihood of this happening? Being able to bring myself back down to earth and sit and calm myself down and just, yeah, remind myself that, you know, I'm home, I'm okay. Um, That definitely helps. Almost like gathering the evidence and fact-checking. Is that what you're saying? So it's like, here I am, this is what I'm thinking. Is that actually true Yes, no. What is the likelihood of that coming true? Yes, no. What impact would that have if it came true? Where am I now and grounding yourself? Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, 100%. I think just being able to, you know, differentiate the reality from the what's actually going on inside your head is a really big thing, being able to separate the two. Yeah, calms you down and brings you back down to earth. And I don't think there would be a person out there that doesn't experience that overwhelming feeling of thoughts or that ruminating thought process, but perhaps we all get it in varying degrees, how intense it is, how long it stays, the fear response that comes up when it's there, you know, and for you with your history, it wouldn't take much, I'd imagine, for that that fear to kind of build and for that anxiety to, to really kick in. Given my upbringing, it's caused a lot of that, but I think a lot of other people struggle with very similar things, just being able to find those little techniques or those little dogs or the little things in life that can bring you back down to earth and just remind you that, you know, you're there and it's okay, you'll get through it. And talking about dogs, I am the same. So I used to have a lot of fear around nighttime and people coming into the home at night. And we have now this big dog that sleeps at the very front door and I've never slept better. Like I did counseling and therapy and had all the tools, but the biggest thing that fundamentally made a difference to my anxiety in my world at night was having a dog sleeping on the mat at the front of our house that no one would enter our home. It's a huge dog that has the deepest bark. And isn't that interesting? Like sometimes takes us a while to realize is that there are a billion tools out there and strategies. And it's about finding the one for you in the moment that works or for different situations. Like your dogs might work when you're feeling that sense of uncertainty, but they might not work if you're going for a job interview. It's finding the right strategy for the right time at different points in our life. Yeah, just being able to have all of those strategies in place and, you know, saying what can I use in this situation. And Raf, you mentioned really early on that one of the reasons you came on this podcast was to kind of almost pull back the curtains a little bit on foster care and our misunderstandings. You know, I definitely when you started speaking around the misunderstanding and the stigma around the child's done something wrong, that really struck a chord for me because I've never personally considered that. And I was like, oh, my God, like do people really think that and believe that and and show up in that space? You know, I know there's some others there for you. And one of the big ones that you wanted to have a conversation around was the lack of support for the foster carers themselves. Yeah, people who are taking these children on definitely need more support. Uh, In my experience, I've watched a lot of carers go through this and taking on children who already have trauma and often these people 
you know, are just looking to have children in their life. They don't realise how hard it can be. It leads to a lot of mental health problems with the carers. And in my experience, that's led to, you know, abusive situations and being in foster homes that were not healthy and shouldn't have even been foster homes in the first place sometimes. There's definitely a lack of care for the way that the foster carers are taking this on on this situation that they aren't necessarily trained enough for. And how could that look different? More training for foster carers, but also ongoing support for them. You know, we have a lot of caseworker meetings for the children. We have a lot of, you know, things put in place to support us, which, you know, is really helpful. And I love that. But I think there also needs to be programs put in place to look after the foster carers and create a bit of a community there where they have someone to relate to and talk to and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. I feel like they often feel a bit isolated in that situation. They don't have enough support. I don't think I've ever told this story, but I had a little foster sister when I was growing up, Jess, and she came to us with cigarette burns over her body and was blue as a baby. And I remember coming home from school and there being a little sister in my house. I only had brothers and I was like, oh my God, I've got a sister. And then the the pain and anguish of realizing what that baby had been through. And then and then she was gone, you know, she was there for a heartbeat. It was a f- maybe a few months, maybe a year. And then she was gone. And I often, often wonder where she is, what her life looks like now. And that was such a small point of time in my life that has had such a significant impact on the rest of my life and my wonderings and my curiosity and the, you know, with no idea of where she is or how she is or, you know, and I don't know how that would have been for my parents, but as you said, there are some foster carers, like I grew up in quite a violent home and she should never have even come into our home in the first place, but she did. And then it felt like she got ripped away and now I don't know where she is, you know? And that's something I think when you're talking about that, it's like, there's different experiences here. There's the child's experience, which has to be number one priority, but then there's the carer's experience and then there's the other kids in the family experience, whether that be other foster kids or whether that be the siblings that are growing up in that home from the parents. There's a community there and who's working with that community? Yeah, for sure. I think that there needs to be systems in place to look after all parties of the situation. From my experience, I have a lot of foster siblings who I don't know now, I have no connection with, and I think that's something that also needs to be worked on. They were our family for a period of time and I think losing them is something that either needs to be, you know, uh, talked about through techniques to work through that or, you know, reconnected so that we can have those connections and have those answers. I think that both foster families, foster children, everyone kind of struggles with that constant instability and up and down. And if we call it for what it is, when we've heard your story, the grief that you experienced early on and that ripping away from your sense of family and then the children coming into your lives and then going, how do you hold space knowing that someone's going to stay in your life if you're constantly experiencing this like in, out, in, out, in, out? I don't have any answers around that. I don't know why they have gone. I don't know where they are. You know, like there is just so much unanswered questions when we're hearing you talk, like even your experience of losing foster siblings, like they were a part of your world. You were you were bringing them in as your family and then they're gone. Yeah, exactly. And you spend your whole life wondering, you know, what are they up to? Where did they get off to? And I've definitely rekindled some of those relationships, but I think that there needs to be systems in place where I, you know, 
shouldn't have to rekindle that. I should be able to, you know, here's their contact number or something like that. Here's, you know, a photo of your old foster sibling. Here's a photo of your old foster child. You know, I think just being able to realise that it is more than just having these kids in and out of your house, it becomes a family connection. And a lot of the reason that people decide to foster is to have that family connection and vice versa. You know, these children need that connection and being able to either continue on with that or have closure on that is a really important thing, I think. Raf, we are coming to the end of the episode and there's a few things that have stayed with me through this conversation one of them is absolutely your independence, you know, that fox in you that that can do the world, go at the world on your own and can completely understand how and why that is such a strong part of who you are. But the other parts that I hear that you haven't necessarily mentioned is the strength within you. There's this real deep unwavering strength that lives within your soul And I hear that as you're talking and I also hear, and this is the part that constantly takes me, like I stand back and think how is when kids have experienced so much trauma that they can still love so passionately. When we hear you talk about your sister, we hear the love that you have for her, this unconditional love and it I just think how do we as humans still hold space to love with all of our hearts when we've experienced such trauma in our lives? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're definitely companion animals. As much as I like to think of myself as a lone wolf, I think that connection is a necessity and being able to have that is something that we really need. What would you say to your younger self? What would you say if you were going to go back in time and have a conversation with the four or five-year-old girl before you lost your brother, before you knew that you were going to be in a foster care that you were staying in, before the breakup of your parents, what would be the words that you would want to say to her? Things are going to be pretty crazy. Life's pretty nuts. But just remember that you can get through these things. You're stronger than you think. Remind yourself that the world's not ending. You're going to be able to push through. And yeah, just reminding her of her strength. That's the part that sits there for me, Raph, when I hear you is you are stronger than you think. And I actually think you are stronger than you think. You know, I can hear you want to say that to yourself, but I actually think there's a few more levels again of how strong you really are. And you are so much stronger than you think. Yeah, still learning that one, but being able to just remind myself that I can get through it, that, you know, I've been through a lot. You know, if a four-year-old can get through all that, I'm sure I can get through my day-to-day. And Raf, I love to ask at the end of every podcast, who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? Definitely my dogs. In particular, my puppy, she has this lovely habit. I live on a main street and we get a lot of sirens go past. And whenever the sirens go past, she feels the need to howl along with them, which I'm sure my neighbours don't like, but I find it so funny. Just in case you weren't awake already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to let you know that there is definitely a siren going past. She, she's very good at that. So, yeah, no, that's one of the funniest parts of my day. 
Thank you so much, Raf, for coming on. We spoke about it at the beginning, that this is the first time that you are publicly speaking up about your experience. And it is not easy. It is really challenging to even put words to those experiences because we're talking about a lifetime here in an hour. You know, how do we possibly describe your experience in an hour? We can't, but you have just done such a beautiful job of sharing your part of your journey so that we can start to understand and hopefully be more compassionate, you know, have a better understanding. Maybe perhaps next time we're going to judge, maybe we could actually say to ourselves, we don't know what that person has been through, gone through. We don't know what they're going through. Yeah, I really hope that I'm able to, you know, shine a bit of light on that and open people's eyes to the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about these things because they feel that they can't and you don't necessarily know what they've been through because we're very good at bottling that stuff up and, you know, keeping it private. And I think being able to open up about that is the first step and then, you know, not judging and realising that, yeah, people go through these things and people are all made up of all these different experiences is definitely, yeah, what I'm hoping to bring to the table. And of course, I need to ask as the very last question, how are you now after this conversation? What's sitting with you? Because this was a big step. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, still a little bit nervous, but I'm glad that I was able to open up about it and, you know, tell my story a little bit, bring a bit of hopefully insight to what it's like being in this system and hopefully change a few people's opinions on, you know, what it really is like being a foster child and you know, we can do all of these things that other kids can do. We really are the same as other kids. We just need a little bit of extra help. And love, you know, and certainty, like we're here, we're here, you know. Thank you so much, Raf. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me on, Ali. Someone asked me the other day how much time and resources it takes to do this podcast. And honestly, my first answer was in my head was not much time at all. It, it probably does take a lot of time, but I'm so passionate about it and I just feel so privileged to sit beside people like Raf in their story, you know, to, to hear the human experience, to hear the challenge, to hear how they navigated that and the things that they're taking away from it and how it impacts them today. It really is a privilege to sit beside people in that space and I hope that you guys are, are getting the same out of the, these stories, these beautiful, incredibly amazing humans that come on to share their story to help all of us and to help help people all around the globe. Don't forget about the High Performance Summit. We are getting very close to the cutoff date. It is filling up. It is on the 8th, 9th and 10th of March. I would love to see you in the room if this is something that you're interested in and it's within your scope for this year. All right, guys, have a fabulous week and I will see you all on Thursday for our mini series and then next Monday for our normal challenges that change us. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.